You're listening to the Punisher Waterfowls, the Union 0430 podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Union 0430, episode 136. And it's a banger. It's special. We alluded to it last week when Ryan and I, when it was just Ryan and I, that we were going to have the man Sean Stahl on with us. We've got a bunch of stuff to uh, to get into here, and it's it's a doozy of a topic tonight. Um, it is special because Dave is here. Look at look, everybody. For anybody that don't know, Dave is my business partner, and you hardly ever see him on this show, but you know, he comes on every once in a while. I was here three days straight because when you were gone. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, fair. Okay, yeah. all right, yeah. cancel my last. Um. So Dave's up in Concordia. Um, Ryan's down in Nova Scotia. I'm just outside Kingston, Ontario. Sean's coming to us from uh, the great state of Michigan. Um, buddy, I hate to do this to you, and I hate to rub it in, but Stevie Y traded Tyler Bertuzzi today. That is the official mark that Stevie Y's what, give up what, on the Red Wings for the playoffs what, this year. What? What's When was the last time toronto won oh one? jesus here we go who do you think who do you think will get the next cup toronto or detroit <laughs> uh oh it'll probably be detroit gets the cup before toronto do whatever that would be that bad because uh, if, if if toronto don't do it this year like what are you going to do like everything is everything's in place for them now except if Boston. they don't do it that, 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 what else can they do Th- that's yeah, it right? yeah yeah, like there's nothing you can do. Like you got teams like the East, like you said today, Sean, when we were chatting, like the East is is just stacked right now. Um, and it's, it's going to come down to the, like the, the Eastern Conference Final is going to be probably the two best teams in the league, you know. And yeah. the Western Conference, they're going to they're not going to beat each other up like the East is. There's just too many brutes, man. But heck, even the Rain- the Rangers look good. Oh, Boston Rangers look sick now. Yeah, New Jersey, uh, yeah, Carolina. Yeah. I mean, Carolina all... was scary good too. Um, yeah. Ottawa got Chitron. I, I don't understand yeah. that trade at all. That that's mind boggling to me. They're, next, they're, in the, they're in the mushy middle. That's dangerous. Yeah, that's I, I don't know about that one, but you know, uh, yeah, it's scary. But you know, five years ago, the West was like this. Remember when the West was just beating up on everybody? When Nashville and Winnipeg and and all these teams, San Jose, all, San Jose was running wild, like having the best years, uh, winning Presidents trophies and stuff like that. It was crazy back then, and now it's the East. And then a few more years, it'll be the West, just like the Leafs are on top now. And then uh, Montreal, Leafs, Montreal. Are always, Leafs are always on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> they're on top until the first round hey, they've been uh, planning a stanley cup parade for the last 10 years okay all right let's talk about bird let's talk about birds enough about leaves but you know what i saw did wow. you see that uh bufflin dustin bufflin was yeah, out for like a, i did see that oh he was a, could you imagine lining up against him in a fucking beer league game like, <laughs> oh. here's the puck don't yeah. hit me so there was a there was a tweet someone put out yesterday and it was Dustin Bufflin at, at this beer league, like sitting on the bench. And they were like, dude, this is who Dubas is going after. This is his last pick right here. He's going to pick up Dustin Bufflin. Can you imagine? Can you imagine him in the league right now, like in his oh. prime, like just dump trucking people? Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, OK, 
we got we got the hockey talk out. Ryan and I had a good chat on this last week too. So it's good to see that we're carrying this over. Um, Sean, buddy, before we get into this this stuff about the guides and everything, um, I seen a video on Instagram today that Tangle Free put out, and it was you. You guys were setting up your your panel blinds and your decoys and stuff, and you had talked about how you you run a string. Um, and then you you run your layout blinds perfectly parallel to that string and you have the angle that you want to your decoys. And I didn't understand what it was that you're talking about there and I've never seen it before. So could you explain it to me? Could you dumb it down for me? Yeah, might have got a little lost in the translation there, but we run two crews. So we've got the blind crew and a decoy crew and I kind of oversee both, but I we need to set the blind first and you determine that where, you know, I want some sun hitting somewhere on the front of the blind. You don't necessarily have to look directly into it, but you want that shadow cast somewhere behind you, preferably not downwind behind you, even downwind behind you, but you want it. Uh, you want that sun on the front of the blind. It's going to blend in a lot better. Birds aren't going to spook as bad. So I want that sun on there. So I want to set that blind. It's, all, it's important to set that blind right off the bat. I'll, and then the second rule is I like to crosswind birds or 45 of them. I never try to make that. Shouldn't never is a hard word because sometimes we really right. like when we're duck hunting. There, there's no other, but you don't really want the birds to try to come right at the boogeyman. You want them to slide in from the side or 45 in, and then use your decoys as confidence barriers or just uh, you know to get their eyes off of where you are. Right. So the the critical thing is setting that blind right away, and we'll get a stake line out, and we'll be, you're basically snapping a line okay, this is the line I want. We'll stand there and, you know, you kind of put your, your, get the wind right, you know, and figure out where the wind's coming from. You can feel in your ears, you just kind of get it right. And imagine yourself sitting in the blind and the birds coming in. So we'll set that. That's the most critical thing right there is setting that blind angle. So that then uh, that blind angle with, with the wind that we're supposed to have and the wind that we have and the wind that we're going to have, you know, later on in the day, you got to take all that into account. And then I'll set my decoys accordingly. And I don't, I don't want the birds to have to fly along past the blind, above the blind. So mm -hmm. I try to string more decoys further downwind, uh, downwind of the blind. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Clear as mud, isn't it? No, Clear no, it do, it do make sense. But uh, now I'm not by no means an, an expert, but I've always set up so that I want the birds coming right in my face like that's the i've only ever seen it done that way so that's the way yeah. i've always done it um but i like this to, yeah in layout blinds in layout blinds it's a lot of times a little bit easier yeah um, holy cow there's a fight in a hockey game right now i can't tell me <laughs> oh they just called ernie back up and he's fighting <laughs> he fought yanny gord uh oh that's a good tilt oh yeah 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 playing seattle yeah he'd, he'd been playing in grand rapids Ernie as he got uh way a few about a month ago he's been playing down in grand rapids he just got called up because bert got traded he just threw the gloves down it's a pretty good one uh anyway i lost my train of thought a good hockey fight got me why now <laughs> hmm. uh oh no i was saying you were saying like sometimes it'll work with a layout blind yeah layout blinds are, but it's it's it doesn't there's there's if then but if and, and never say never and always mm -hmm. isn't you know but through years and years of experience birds are going to finish better 
in a, on an eight frame panel blind style blind, they're going to finish better crosswind than they are coming right at the blind. And then <laughs> I've got piles and piles of footage and we get in this argument every year. Um, first of the year, first, you know, first trip of the year, you know, just set it up, make them fly right into you. Well, they will, and they'll come in and they'll come in. And then they, what they do is they can split and try to land on either side of the block. Mm -hmm. And now you got guys doing this or this, you know, and, and it just gets unsafe. And it's just uh, through years and years of hunting out of these things. I mean, I've been hunting out of a frame style panel blind prototype deals since the mid nine, mid nineties. And it just, it works better crosswinding them or 45 and then then making them come right at the boogeyman mm -hmm. you know a lot of times you're setting up on a fence row or a wood line um even out in the middle of the field you're 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 not invisible you know you're there it's a danger point it's a pinch point and any you know early in the season when you don't have very educated birds you can get away with a lot more than you can later mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. so no there's just trial and error and what i've learned through 30 some years, 40 oh, years of hunting. Oh no, trust yeah. me. I'm taking what you're saying as gospel. Um, <laughs> and there's not a lot of people that, that understand, yeah. like there's a lot more to just putting up a, a set than there is just like, yeah, oh, the blind man. Good here. you know, I mean, there's so much goes into pre-planning of a hunt to make it successful prior to shooting. Time. You know, there's so, there's so much that we put, you know, I want to, I want to know where the birds are roosting. I want to know how they approach the field, where they traditionally like to, to land in the field. Because birds will pick spots in the field that they like to land in and feed in. And I've never been, you know, you hear the deal. Well, you watch them till you know they till they leave for the night, and you set up where they left off. Well, no, that's probably not the best scenario right there. I we I had a guy hunted with one time a long time ago, and he scouted the birds of the birds, and he found and he watched them leave, and he knew exactly where to hunt, and Hey, they they were all the way up against the road uh, on the, the west side of the road, west side of the field up against the road, and there was going to be a hard east wind. And he wanted to hunt there and make the birds spin over the power lines, over the road, and drop 50 yards into the spread. And it's just, I mean, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's an easy spot in the field where they want to land, and then there's a spot where you could hide the best. Uh, and you got to kind of try to pick the best of both worlds. Most of the time we revert to where we can hide the best and where we can get into a field where we can set up so that we don't have the birds try to pass over the blind to get into the spread, try to keep them in front of you. It doesn't always work. Try to keep them out in front of you as best you can keep them off that shadow in the back. Um, and also the bigger the field, the less it matters, the smaller the field, the more it matters. Don't set up right smack dab in the middle you have to give these birds room to breathe and room to work. So back off it, even get on an edge if you have to, but let them have room out there to spin and work, work in. Don't just go out there after they've been in this field, go plop down right in the middle with the, with blinds, whether it's layout blinds or panel blinds or whatever, that just makes it tougher. So I'll back up and always revert to where you can hide the best and it's gonna give you the most success. Oh, I thought that makes sense. Yeah, I thought Dave was going to chime in. I think uh, I think we can officially start giving. We'll start a hashtag here. We'll just call Sean the the Goose Father. Why don't you just go? The, the Godfather of the Goose. 
the Godfather. Of the hey, Beast. Yeah. No, that's that's grounds. Yeah, that's Tim grounds. Yeah. I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there could be a big list of like, okay, when you get to the field, look at this, look at this, and like some people, it's just yeah. like get there's to the a, field. There's a deal you kind of run through. Yeah. yeah. And and really, someone could just make that list and be like, hey, look at go from here to there, and and you can do it. But doing the first yeah. four or five works too. That's what I think. There's a. See. I think there are situations where you where the birds finish feeding, you can get away with it the next day. If you're hunting like a west and you have like a a square quarter mile section and they're in the middle, you're going to be fine. But like obstructions yeah. and and like equipment and roads, like mm-hmm. that's that's a no go. Like yeah. that's a basic no go. You want to stay away from just because birds yeah. graze a lot. They sit there all day. They're gonna they're gonna walk hundreds of yards until they find feed. But just because that's where they're at doesn't mean that's where they're going to be mm-hmm. the next day. Yep. That was a nice segue. Thank you, Ryan, to dropping out west. Now on to... Oh, we're getting right into it. Yeah, we're getting right into it, man. Because I think it's going to take us to full full episode to get through it. So um, so for anybody that's listening that, that isn't aware, um, Ryan and I talked about it on the last show that Sean was going to come on because he was going to talk about some, some legislation that's happening in Manitoba next year. Um, and now there's a possibility of Saskatchewan and Alberta, um, picking up the same legislation and it, and it is, um, it, it's a pretty big deal. And initially when Sean, when you told me about it, I told you, I said, I I'm torn on this. I'm, I'm not educated enough on it. And I'm really torn because I see the outfitter side and I see the freelancer side, but the more and more I'm reading into it now, it is, it is not good news for, for anybody. And like I said to you, um, this is going to pit, pit us against one another. Once again, um, it's going to be another one of them versus us, um, in the waterfowling community. Not only them versus us, it, it, it's dividing us. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and all that does is make everything worse and for the, for the sport in general, uh, because if we're not one voice moving forward, we don't have enough clout in legislatures or pushing things or getting funding to do things. Uh, you know, the less hunters that we have, the less, uh, you know, in, in the U S when we buy any kind of sporting goods, hunting related, there's a tax on those items and it's, it's called the Pittman Robertson. And those funds are put in to, you know, wildlife habitat restoration, different things in the, in the natural resources. So the less money that's spent there, the less taxes go in there. Uh, the less hunters that we have, the more support we have for DU, Delta, mm-hmm. all these organizations that, that spend a lot of money on habitat restoration. So, uh, you know, it, I guess we probably ought to explain what, what's yeah. going on first yeah. because then we can kind of get into the ramifications of it. So, but go ahead. Well, so I, I'll, I'll give you what, what I'm following and then you can correct me. Um, if I, if I get something that that's right out of her. So, Ultimately, what's happening next year in Manitoba is that they are going to cut the amount of non-resident hunting licenses. Um, so that's going across the board. So for guys like me that just show up to Manitoba to hunt, and it's going to affect the outfitters. So um, so the outfitters are going to they're going to lose uh, a, a fair number of licenses that they can issue out to their clients and freelancers guys, regular guys, that's, that's just going out and going to do it on their own. 
their numbers are going to be um, drastically cut as well. So um, initially, my first thoughts go into uh, first off, is that is that the gist of it, Sean? Like, did I get that? Yeah, for most part, I don't think I, I don't think you as a Canadian resident are going to be affected. I think it's more foreign non-residents okay. are going to be affected. And this this yeah. whole policy, it started late last summer and not a lot of people knew about it, really. It didn't get a lot of press. It got put in for public comment, went through hunting season. Nobody really knew about it. Didn't make any waves. Right. Because we're all get, you know focused on hunting season. I'm not really thinking what. And it got out of uh, it got out of uh, a public comment period and pretty much went got ready to be written as law and apparently it's supposed to go in effect here in the next month or so uh but it's it it it's titled a modernization of waterfowl hunting uh in manitoba and it's it's aimed their aim is and it's when you read some of the their thought process behind it i'll just say this figures don't lie but liars figure and you can come up with and skew data to make it look however you want mm -hmm. but when you start just pulling the real facts out it paints a different picture and you know there's no we cannot deny that both in canada and the united states we're losing hunters mm -hmm. our hunter recruitment rate is below one and anytime it's below one we're losing hunters um and in fact in some areas it's significantly lower than one so Canada, you know, Canada has lost a lot of hunters. The U.S. has lost a, hunter, a lot of hunters, but Canada, the, the numbers have fallen at a, Drastically. At a higher rate. Yeah. 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 So, you know, the, they're going under the, under the assumption that this is going to improve uh, resident waterfowl hunting opportunities and thus increase resident hunting within the province. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think there's anybody that, 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 that knows hunting uh, believes that's going to happen. Right. Waterfalling for Canadians, by Canadian citizens, particularly on the on the out in the prairie out west. When I you say Manitoba, yep. Saskatchewan, Alberta, it, they don't have access to stores that sell products, so they have to import them or they have to cross the border and buy them, unbox them, throw them, you know, to not pay duty. Or when they import them, they almost pay double, triple what they have to pay, and it's just not it's yeah. not financially feasible for them to do it and most of these guys uh most of the hunters out west they have some sort of a, a a tie to farming whether they're you know they they live in a farming community they work farming work for yeah. a farmer any ag business somewhere so they're farming this time of year in the fall and doing these things and they got time to go hunting a couple times and they gotta get back to work before the mm -hmm. snow flies so it's not hunting for them is not a super top priority and you take in also into account, you know, it's hard to get use involved into the hunting sport period when you've got video games and you got social media and Snapchat and TikTok and all this stuff taking them away. And, you know, like in Manitoba, I think you have to be almost 16 years old to get a hunting license. And you got it's, it's a rigorous deal. You got to go through these classes and do all this stuff. Yeah. It's difficult. And we had what? this conversation, you know, here in the States. Uh, the Mississippi Flyway Council meeting, they had a meeting and in, in our law enforcement uh, head from Michigan was down there meeting with the other 12. There's 13 states in the Mississippi Flyway meeting with them. And they're saying, you know, our hunt, you know, we're getting kids involved when they're six and they're eight and parents choice. And he's like, what are you doing? You know, why you, you can't do that. They're going to hurt, you know, and, and two things came out of that. 
the the gun safety was null and void because the most the safest segment of the population are the kids they only know what they're taught they're mm -hmm. taught never point a gun at anything you don't intend to shoot always point in a safe direction always assume every gun's loaded keep your finger out of the safety all that stuff so they know all of that the second thing is at six and eight years old mom and dad or dad and uncle and grandpa are still heroes they haven't been really acclimated to social media and the LeBron James and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff, you know, and the older they get, the more, the less, the less they view their parents as, as their heroes and the more they start getting off and branching off and you lose that aspect. So it's hard when you're not starting to hunt until you're 16. I mean, sure you can go with your dad and your grandpa, but when you're 12, 14 years old, you want to go hunting yeah so that's an issue uh, getting hunters and you know i know where we go we go in manitoba we probably hunt with five to eight resident you know manitoba residents when we're there and out of that five five to eight there's probably two that would hunt if we weren't we weren't there right if they yeah. if we didn't go up there and hunt with them and invite them and hunt with them they wouldn't go I, so i I just want to add this to to the problem because you didn't you didn't state it, but the Canadian government and the Canadian appetite for hunters and guns right now is is at an extreme low, right? And that's and that's hurting. That's really hurting our hunter recruitment right now. My, my I just biggest, wanted to throw that in. Yeah, my biggest problem with this legislation, and we've already seen it. Um, anytime you have politics coming into something without any kind of information from a subject matter expert and i'll use like the whole not during covid not or the bird flu not bringing carcasses across the border which is ridiculous for a migratory bird because they're coming across whether you want them or not yeah whenever they make these kinds of decisions they're, they're not generally very tactful or on point and my biggest problem with it's, this legislation it, it, yeah just my biggest problem with this legislation is there's no justification laid out there's no there's there's nothing to very minimal substance to make this decision on yeah go ahead, it's Sean. not backed by science it's hard when you when, when you take natural resources shouldn't be should never be managed through emotion and politics it ought to be always biology first the resource should mm -hmm. matter first and that's how it should be. And, and, and more and more and more, it's getting to be about politics and people's feelings. Well, yeah. absolutely. I'll go for it, Dave. Well, I was just going to say those people's feelings are going to be hurt too. When like those mom and pop shops, the restaurants that yeah. people go to for breakfast every morning, the, the <laughs> like all that stuff, like there's so many things that are going to be affected right now that it's like, I, I don't think yeah. they thought this through. Well, well enough, that right? was my biggest thing when it come to, people that are freelancing so if you take yourself sean and your crew that comes up there um every year so you guys you guys aren't coming up for two days you're up for a week or more um you got a hotel that you're you know, staying really with 10 or 11 days and man it's it's that that's a push in it yeah Right. Usually seven to 10 days. Yeah. yeah. So you, you got to find somewhere to stay somewhere to eat the gas, all of that stuff. Like that's money into the local economy. Now, the thing is, is that with this and, and you guys brought it up when you say in politics, get involved, the politicians that are pushing this legislature, they have no clue about this, right? Like they're not hunters. So they don't, they don't care. They've got 
they've got nothing into it. All it is is their constituents. So somebody is complaining to a politician. That ultimately, so, that's what it is. Know, it, 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 I think if you dig into it and you talk to the right people, you'll find out what I'm about to say is is how this kind of got started. Uh, it it kind of there are some few people in the in the uh, metro area of Winnipeg that are losing access to traditionally to, to properties that they traditionally had access to. And their thought process and blame for that was it's Americans coming up here, uh, buying houses, staying for a month, leasing land, uh, running rogue outfitter services and, and ruining it for everybody. And so their, their thought process was, well, we'll, we'll, we'll punish the 99% and go after the 1% of the problem. Because I promise you, if, if the the game wardens know, and we know who they are, we can point them out. We can tell them who they are. Go get them. Don't ruin it for everybody else who's doing good. I mean, we can sit here and talk all day about the good benefits of this, of, of, of us going, it, it, you know, there's a border between our countries but i i it's we all share a common bond i mean you're no different than i am and and any of the guys on here i mean i look at you guys as brothers you know i I don't think of as a foreign country yeah we're just brothers we we share the same likes dislikes we just live in the Um, attic yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you you know it's that there's there's a lot there's a lot of relationships that have been built through the years. Like I've been going to Manitoba since the midnight, 90, 1994. I'm looking at a picture of the first year I went. I've uh, been going to a couple of different areas, but by and large, I've been going to the same area for almost 20 years. And I've seen little kids grow up to be big kids, have kids, have their own family, uh, become, uh, become more than just, I have a better relationship with them than I do most of my family. Yeah, you know they have become family. The Hutterite community up there is twenty-five families in there. I know every one of them. Mm-hmm. And I talk to several of them on a weekly basis, all the way throughout the season. And I never realized how it. I don't go necessarily to Manitoba because we go there and murder the geese. Because where we go in Manitoba, the hunting just it. It's not that great. We work our butts off and we scout. We find places. But when COVID hit and we couldn't go, that's when it really hit why we really go. It's the people and it's the, it's the faces where we go and the relationship we had. That hurt more than anything. Mm-hmm. The, the lack of the, not being able to hunt there was not as big of an issue as it was not being able to go up there and, and see these people and hang out with them for, you know, uh, 10 days out of the year or two weeks out of the year or whatever it is we're up there for. Um, that's, that's what, you know, it's, it's more than just hunting that's going to be hurt from this. It's relationships. It's building um, an international relationship. It's it, there, there's just so much to it. Um, and, and I just don't buy the let's penalize the 1% for, or penalize the 99% for the 1%, 1% that's, that's causing the issue. If that's really what it is. And honestly, uh, you know, I think it really all boils down to and. And I, I mean, I don't know the hundred percent of the facts, but I do know that I do know that this came down to a couple of individuals knowing which year to bend, and they went at them and said, "Hey, here's the changes we need to do," and they started this study, and 
made the numbers look how they wanted to and said, okay, we can do this and they'll make it better. And really what it boils down to is waterfowlers in general, we're really jealous people, we're real competitive people. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody hunting next to me. I want to have permission for the whole county. I don't want to, I want to keep everybody out and do this. It's me, 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 me. And in doing that, all we're doing is make it harder and harder for anybody else to get into the sport, right? We're not bringing people in. If it's hard, if it's harder, they can't get in, they can't get a start. Why even start? Why get into it? So we're looking at this on a personal level and not a big picture level. Yeah. You know, it just because it's good for me doesn't mean it's good for everybody. So I, and that's really what numbers. Yeah, you just kind of cracked the code. I said you just kind of cracked the code. Why numbers are declining here, in my yeah. opinion? Like yeah. it's yeah. it's yeah. just people are not sharing it and they're just keeping it to themselves. And, and yeah. you, you know, I mean, I I was at one time. I'm you know, in my younger days, I was that gun ho get permission, but I can't tell you how many times we've been up, and it happens a lot more. You know uh on the road you see another group of kids watching the field or whatever and you're like hey you know you guys want to hunt with us tomorrow and and, you know sure you know let's just get together and do this and and i learned things too as much hunting as much hunting as i've done and places i've been and and experience i still learn stuff and by hunting with different people outside your crew and and you form relationships and that was the one time a game warden stopped us and you know we got out in the field and he's like are you guys you guys are guiding no we're not guiding well he's from kentucky and he's from missouri and he's from iowa and you're from michigan you got one guy from ontario you got one guy from manitoba and one guy from minnesota and you're from everywhere how does that work how do you know how do you know each other and i said most of us all met in a field somewhere within about five miles of here at one point or another in the last 25 years that's how we all know each other and, and that's how we've got together so that's amazing I want to throw, I want to throw this, this out there too. So now that, so now that this legislation is going to happen, right? So the number of uh, non-resident licenses are going to get cut. So the outfitters. So, so now let's, let's look at this from, from an economic standpoint. So the outfitters, um, they have bills to pay. They have uh, employees to pay, and and they and they got to put money in their own pocket, or else it's a pretty shitty business that they're not making money. So and don't forget, yeah, I think in Manitoba they have to pay for like a guide license every year too, right? Yeah, uh, they do, and and yeah. we haven't they have to make haven't really, license. yeah, we haven't hit on this. I don't know, I like haven't read the legislation, but if you're going through an outfitter, so it's a lottery based system, is what I've read. So you apply for the lottery, but if yeah, you're right going now, through, st- go ahead, Sean. Right now, as it stands, there's, there's, I think there's like 160 some registered outfitters for waterfowling in the province of Manitoba. And they're in the process of going to knock that down to about 60. And of the, uh, for those 60 outfitters are going to allow them 1200 licenses. So a little simple math is 20 a piece. Yeah. Uh, for 60 outfitters. And now the outfitters, I've talked to two that have outfitter licenses and they can't get anybody to talk to them and return phone calls and tell them, am I one of the 60 or am I one of the, the ones that are dropped? And wow. how does this affect me? And where do I go? You know, and they talk to the game wardens and the game wardens don't know anything about it. They don't agree with it because they know that Americans bring tourism in. It, it provides yeah. them something to do for a job, you know, yeah. for the, for a, three, four weeks out of the year. And, you know, so they don't even know 
Um, so, but you know, from an outfitter standpoint, it you know, one, there there's going to be a hundred of them out of business in the waterfowling deal, and then the ones that are in business, if they only have twenty licenses a piece, and say they normally take say a hundred, a hundred you know guests a year, now they're you know what twenty five percent of their business twenty yeah twenty twenty five percent of their business twenty percent, so in order to make up those funds, what do you do? raise prices you raise your prices and you that's what that's what times. i was getting at you, you hunt a third less mm. yeah. you take your clients and you're like hey uh you hundred guys i've only got 20 spots are you willing to pay this mm-hmm. and you know you're gonna find guys to do it so now they got a bill they spend less money because yep. they they don't have to feed as many they don't have to rent the lodge for as long they don't have to rent you know hire any local people to cook and clean they're not going to spend as much gas in the area but they're going to make three, four times the money. Yeah. And, you know, this, this, this keeps getting going down a rabbit hole and, mm. you know, more so in Saskatchewan and Alberta, how many of those outfitters in Saskatchewan and Alberta are Canadian residents that pay Canadian taxes? Most of these outfitters oh, don't get me started. And, and don't let, don't, don't let me th- think that I, that I'm anti-outfitter because their outfitters are do a good service. Um, there are good ones and reputable ones out there. I hunt with them. I know there's two in Ontario, you know, you got Luke yeah. and, uh, David, they're awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in, in a couple in Saskatchewan that I know they're good people, but by and large, these are Americans up here and they're making money on American citizens coming up there to hunt. Probably 90% of them are Americans coming up there to hunt, paying them an American cash. And it's probably not going into the canadian tax system and you got outfitters that go you got outfitters that go they got clients coming in they drive down to the airport they pick them up they drive them up to the lodge they sleep there for the night they get up they feed them breakfast take them hunting bring them back feed them lunch go duck hunting in the afternoon and then bring them back go to feed them dinner go to bed repeat for two or three days and then take them to the to the airport so what money is going back into the canadian economy there You, you got some fuel uh and and you got some some groceries and you got a couple of people you're probably paying the lot at the lodge to cook and clean yeah and as opposed to a group of four or five freelancers coming up and they're going to rent a hotel rent a house uh eat at restaurants uh they're going to buy you know rye and rye whiskey and they're going to you know i mean to give the farmers and it just they're going to spend a lot of money mm-hmm in the in the uh, local economy in the bakery i mean i can't tell you how much money we spend in the bakery every day (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna throw this out there too that um and you kind of touched on it when you said the outfitters take people out you know they'll take them two or three days maybe four days but they're this new legislature is talking about like a six-day limit on a hunter well if you're only going to get one is it seven so if you're only going to get 20 tags a year are you going to try and get guys to fill seven days straight instead of doing the two and three days at a time? Right. Like it's going yeah. to be, yeah. there's going to be anarchy this summer go, but... figuring it out. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. But like I said, outfit, outfitters are good because they, they take a segment of the population that doesn't have another means to go. Um, people that mm-hmm. work full time don't have, you know, a young, you know, introduced young kids in the sport that kind of stuff. I, I think they're, they think there's room for, I, I truly believe there's room for outfitters in the sport. Um, the rogue outfitters, that's another story. And uh, that, and, and that's the issue, right? Play, playing, yeah. What's that? And, 
And that's the issue, right? Because just like in everything in life, every fucking law that we have, uh, stupid well, law I mean, or whatever what we... Saying is, yeah, that's, that's what, what they're, they're saying, saying right? The that's issue. what their excuse is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just that's just one thing to, to get, to drive a wedge in the uh, in the industry is to say that, you know, it's one or the other. Yeah. So, no, no, absolutely. Just come to Ontario and call yourself the fucking ABC Outfitters. They don't... Yeah, and yeah, and you can come to Ontario where you need absolutely no licenses, no nothing, um, any swinging dick can can be and you know it sean because and and you mentioned them you mentioned dave roy and luke shooters in in my opinion yeah. i agree with you the only two outfitters in ontario and i agree with you a hundred percent because they're the only ones that 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 do it the right way um yeah i think there's a few smaller ones too except you're gonna see like you go down to that fucking lake st Clair. yeah got some good maybe. guys down there but yeah, then there's true. like a bunch of guys that you're like Holy fuck, he's taking people out. Like, mm. and, and I mentioned names that I know. I mean, I don't know every outfit of there either. So. No, no, but those yeah. are the two big ones. Yeah. But those are the two big I'm, Yeah, go I'll Ryan. play devil's at I'll play devil's advocate on this from the, the outfitters perspective because I of course I guide I guide in Saskatchewan and specifically with what Sean touched on with rogue outfitters and my definition is rogue outfitters. And I was talking about Damien this offline. Mm-hmm. And I can't speak to Manitoba because I don't. I've only hunted Manitoba. I've never guided Manitoba. Saskatchewan Outfitters. You acquire a license, and with that license, you're attached to territory, and that is either solely your territory or you share it with another license. And you can be Canadian, you can be an American, but you pay money for that license to acquire it. And depending on what, when you've acquired it, or what flyway it's in or whatever it's, it could be pretty lucrative because that, you're going to make a lot of income off that and what my issue is is and i've seen it in saskatchewan where there's people who come up from the states and they're there as long as i am it's the same guy with a montana plate and a trailer and every week i see him with four different guys and he's making money that's the problem. Freelancers, freelancers are fine. They don't, they don't have, I don't have an issue with freelancers. And, and you know what, that that's a problem. Come to Kansas and Oklahoma. It's the same. We, we have the same issue. Yeah. It, you know, they, they, they pull a trailer around with a jacked up three quarter ton with their daddy's money uh, with a bunch of silhouettes and a frames mm-hmm. and they run around and, and it, and it used to be Oklahoma, North Texas, parts of kansas you could go and knock on doors get permission uh maybe buy them a case of beer or something uh and get permission to hunt and now most everything is either leased up or if Mm. they if it isn't leased up they want 50 to 150 bucks a head just to freelance on the property because you got all these kids running around there so you just brought up the guide life yeah you just brought up kansas sean so and and I'm sure I'll hear about this from Bobby because I'll probably I'll probably screw it up. But chatting with Bobby Hayes the other day, Kansas is bringing this in right now. So they're bringing in legislation, I believe, where non-resident because it's getting out of hand in Kansas as well, just like what you were saying, Sean. So I think Kansas is bringing in similar legislation um, for whitetail. I don't think it's for ducks and waterfowl yet. But I believe for whitetail deer, 
it it's coming in, in in Kansas because every same deal, right? Everybody's showing up and and can everybody knows Kansas is a state that's full of deer. So um it it's happening, right? And and this is this is this is the driving force behind it. Yeah. And like I said, it's it a lot of this stuff is death to the sport by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. The more divided we become, the more segmented we become, uh, the the less and less people are going to be hunting. So I mean, yeah. just simple. Okay, but I mean, so- bottom line, like like there ought to be some control over outfitters and number of outfitters and and policing that. It's yeah. not like I said in Manitoba. It's not like we don't know who they are. I, I mean, we've yeah. we've told the local game warden one. I I told him, I said. You know he's guiding. Oh no, he's not. He he just th- those guys from Illinois come up every year and they stay at his place and and I'm like yeah and he cooks he cooks did meals his wife cooks meals for him they stay at his place he scouts fields before they get there secures permission and he's out there hunting with them every day yeah yeah so he's an outfitter no 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 mm-hmm. not he he he's yeah. an outfitter trust me you know uh, and he's not licensed so yeah we, so, we know who they are. So- so sorry, Dave. Um, go for it. Oh no, I was just gonna say it sounds like he's just a good friend. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. um, you know, and but you know, and then I heard an outfitter argued the other day that uh, you know, so and so farmer he rents out his house to these hunters and let and for what X amount of dollars and lets them hunt hunt their land and then they, they don't have access to it. My my this whole freelancer in an outfitter deal isn't so much a Manitoba deal as it is further, further West, but what gives an outfitter more rights than a freelancer when a outfitter is monetizing on a natural resource on private lands that they don't have any financial investment in. So what makes an outfitter more important than a freelancer mm-hmm. when they both have no financial investment in it, but one feels they, they should have more clout. I, I, again, I think there's room for both and I think there should be both, but I don't think it should be one or the other. And I had an, a, another guy tell me the other day, he owns a, a, a lawn care business. And he said, this is no different than me going, Hey, I'm going to get a group of my guys together, a group of guys that around the city here that, uh, own lawn care services we're going to get together we're going to form a group an association like an outfitters association and we're going to start bending ears of politicians we're going to start putting money into their campaigns and we're going to tell them hey we think there should be a new rule that you cannot mow your own lawn you have to hire a lawn care service to do it <laughs> you know i mean well, yeah it, it's and a fuck, where, it's, it know, makes it's the same thing but yeah, good but analogy. yeah. Don't forget, though, that the Americans that own property in Manitoba are also going to be limited too, right? They're going to be limited to 21 days on that legacy permit, and they can only have four other yeah. people. It's important to note yeah. that any major outfitter in Western Canada is 95 to 98% employed by Americans. We're not we're not yeah. funding yeah. Canadians too. No, of course yeah. not. Because, right. because yeah. as soon as you drop a price on it, as soon as you say how much it costs for five <laughs> days of hunting, every Canadian yeah. is like, Oh my God, that's ridiculous. That's, that's, that's yeah. total. 
Yeah. Yeah. So this this argument that it's going to get um, more Canadians hunting or it's going to increase hunter work. It's not valid. No, because it trust me that the the handful of dudes and and I say handful, but the handful of dudes that cross over to 49th parallel to to come in to hunt is not what's stopping hunter recruitment in Canada. It, it, no, it's and, not. And, you know, here's, here's, a, here's a, a just to throw out there. You know, the last two years, COVID kind of screwed up the numbers. 2020, the numbers, no, they didn't allow American, you know, didn't allow Americans cross border because of COVID. Yep. Then 2021, you had to have the jab to get in. So that, that brought the numbers down. But for the province of Manitoba, for the, for the five-year average prior, so 2014 to 2019, I think resident hunters, resident game bird license sales. Now that includes guys at upland hunt um, or duck hunt. So it's a combination and I don't know the breakdown because it's not broke down in the, in the book for that. But the long-term, the five-year average for that was right around 9,500, 9,500, mm-hmm. which is significantly lower than it was 30 to 40 years ago, significantly. Mm-hmm. Now the American the American, the foreign non-resident licenses sales for game birds and 99%, 98% of these guys are waterfowlers, but there are Americans that come up there and go grouse hunting. But the five-year average for that is 3,500. So we're talking about 13,000 hunters in the province of Manitoba. And obviously most of Manitoba, two-thirds of Manitoba is bush. Yeah. But you consider, if you take and draw a line up in the north, you know, the north central, right along the Saskatchewan border, about halfway up Flint Flon, draw a line diagonal straight down the lake of the woods and everything south of that line that's basically one third of the province and you've got 13,000 hunters on roughly one third of the province and you know it for a manitoba resident they're trying you know increase opportunity so a manitoba resident can start hunting september 1st americans foreign non-residents the season opener is september 24th so there's a 23 day head start yeah if you're a canadian citizen whether you're from ontario or manitoba saskatchewan your bag limit for canada geese is eight if you're a foreign non-resident american your bag limit's five so there's already increased added incentive for residents to hunt yeah yeah and also when you consider those fourteen thousand individuals are not all hunting at one time it probably, to, you know, Americans, the 3,500 Americans, I would say 75% of those are there for about within about a two week period from uh, September, yeah, September 24th for about a two week period, because primarily they go up there to experience, you know, to extend their season before their opening days back. Yeah. Yep. So most, most Americans, the, 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 I would say 75% of that 3,500 are gone within the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. So you got about a two week influx after they've already hunted for 23 days. So I don't buy the, the that there's too much pressure, that the pressure is there. Because if they think that's pressure, they ought to go down to Stutt, you know, around Stuttgart, I'll meet it on the public area where, I mean, you, you go pulling through there with a boat in the morning, there's flashlights. It looks like, you know, the stars are shining bright in the north sky. So here's my like here's Aurora Borealis in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's here's my thing. So we've spent the last 50 minutes talking about this. 
but what's the solution? So how do we, how do we as hunters, how do we um, stop the legislation, educate the politicians or the, le- uh, the legislation writers? How, like what, what's the fix to this? Because we can, we can sit here all day and just complain about stuff, but we, we got to try to fix it. So how do we do that? I honestly don't know. And I think it starts just by people talking. Yeah. And when this started, people weren't talking, uh, didn't know about it. And, and, and it's, I said this to Lee Josie the other day, I said, man, even if we lose this battle, we can't lose the war. Um, yeah. we've, we've got to fight this stuff. We've got to, we've got to keep our, our eyes and ears to the ground on this. And, you know, really these, it comes down to, you know, Delta and DU, um, these types of organizations need to t- step up and take leadership roles. And I know I talked to John Devney at Delta. He found out about it earlier than most of us did. And he was able to go in and kind of, try to educate on how things really happen and work and and actually was able to change some of the stuff uh add you know add in some a little bit more benefits to to the to the freelancers and whatnot but it's still it's a compromise and anytime there's a compromise nobody wins Mm -hmm. you know anytime there's a compromise we give in a little bit so eventually we keep compromising and compromising and compromising. We're not going to have anything. That's right. And that becomes, that becomes a major issue. Man, it, it you know, um, Bobby Hayes said to me the other day that he's thinking about coming up to Canada next, next fall to hunt. He's never, ever hunted Canada. He's never, ever hunted out West. Um, and he's thinking about coming up next year. Cause he fears that uh, in a in a bunch of years, he won't be allowed to come up to Canada to hunt, and that's his fear: is that it, it's just going to get taken right off the board. And and I think you're right, Sean, well, is that if 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 these compromises keep happening, and if people don't, you know, like this analogy that that you brought up about, um, I and listen, I get it. I get outfitters. I, I get their their desire to try to want to protect their livelihood um but it is a a natural resource it is something that listen if they bought the land and they owned it well then you can you can fight that um but there's no difference between me and and an outfitter right he the only thing is is that his livelihood is is relying on it and and i'm just doing it for fucking recreation for all for lack of a, a better way to talk about it right so um if we continue to allow this to happen and not fight for it um you know what the days of the days of of uh fellas south of the border coming coming north they may be going the way to dodo bird i and some people may may listen to this after monday and be laughing and saying that we're being we're freaking out over nothing but everything every big major thing that's ever happened in North America, because I can't speak to, to Europe, but it always starts with these little friggin' things. It, they bite away, bite away, bite away, and then it's then it's lost forever. Man, eventually, I'll, I'll eventually you, the Americans. Will, no, I was just gonna say, eventually the Americans will stop shooting weather balloons down for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, man. Like if you're a you, if you're a waterfowler and you think this is a good thing, I mean, yeah. good for you. 
but think about the economy. Think about this, man, Saskatchewan, like there's little towns with 200, you know, yeah. two, Damien, you know this, yeah. 200 people and there's like a buttfuck town in the middle of nowhere. And there's a Chinese restaurant and man, they have September to November circled on their calendar. Absolutely every year. do. Their business relies on like Americans and freelancers coming through yeah. to like just, you know, fill their guts. So there's way more people impacted outside of the hunting, directly outside of the hunting. Absolutely. And that can't be forgotten. The amount of Chinese restaurants that's along the old rail bed and the amount of Pilsner that's brewed out there. If, if we're not allowed to come that I don't know what's going to happen to these towns. Because I may have it, saved it, a yeah. small Chinese restaurant. <laughs> in Saskatchewan. I know you did, but you like, know, it, it, it's, it's yeah, not go. just the tur. It's the, the, the it's there's so many levels to this. The tourism dollars, the the relationships, the international relationships, the uh, international relations, um, it, the, the money that's spent. You know, yeah. the less hunters we have, the less license sales we have, the less duck stamp sales we have is the less money that's going into habitat and habitat restoration. The less hunters that too. we have, the less active members of Delta and DU that we have that are putting money in pumping money in for habitat restoration and and creation both on the north north side of the border and you know in canada and here in the states so the less hunters we have the worse it is for the resource um i i just don't see what they're trying to do with this legislation is is going to add hunters it's it's not it's going to it's going to reduce hunter numbers it's going to reduce uh obviously hunter participation but it's also going to reduce um, desire within communities to care about having waterfall wetlands um, as a resource. You know, if there's no financial incentive for them, whether they own a, a, a building in town or they're a farmer, if there's no financial incentive for them to leave a pond there, they're just going to bulldoze it over and plant fields in it. But what plant, about this you know, idea? Crops. So like, what about this idea? Like I know down, I know down in the Southern States, it's a big deal. Like these, uh, these duck clubs, Sean, you know what I mean? Like the, uh, these Big, the big time money um, spent, and and I know there's there's a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth when it comes when it comes to these duck clubs and stuff like this. But that's what you're doing here is you're creating elitism, and, and that's the way I view it, anyways. And and you yeah. can tell me that I'm wrong, yeah. but you're creating elitism here, and and and, here, and it's, coming to, it's, it's coming to it's coming to if you're if you got the money to to pay then you can play yeah hey uh hockey same deal it, it's it, that sport's getting that way too yeah you know just draw that analogy it's getting harder and harder for the average little kid to lace up a pair of skates and buy a buy a stick and some pads and get going and yep. you know a travel hockey and do all it, it's getting to the same our, our sport's getting out of control um it, it it's it's we have to make it easier easier access easier to participate for the average person and by creating this elitism type things in the industry mm -hmm. making you have to draw in where you may not be able to go every year or making it be you have to go with an outfitter and do it it's not good for the sport it no. just isn't you're not going to be in, you're not going to be as inclusive as you possibly can be and you're just not going to have the overall numbers but isn't that one of the draws to to hunting 
you know, like if you think back to when you first started or if you talk to your, your, your dad or your grandfather or your uncles or whoever, but that was always the draw to hunting is that you didn't need anything. You did all you needed, get your gun and go walk around in the woods and, and, and hunt. You didn't have to pay any membership fees. You didn't have to have all kinds. You know what I mean? Like it was just, it was simple. And that's why hunting it was, was, it was freelancing. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. it was, it was simple. And yeah. that was, and that was the it, reason why it, most again, people go, fell I in love with it. To, I, I'm not, I, by no means am I trashing guides and outfitters. I, I yeah. want to keep driving that point. I think they're, you know, but the, it's the freelancer that, becomes the the paid hunter uh or the uh, it's the freelancer that drives the sport that's the heart and soul of the sport and you cut out the freelancer you make it more difficult for them uh you make them go into a draw system where you may not be able to go one every other year every couple years well they're going to find other hobbies they're going to find other things to do and eventually you're not going to have an active member in the sport so what about this theory no matter what you create for rules and laws, there's there's a group of people that's just going to get more creative in ways to circumvent these rules and laws. I, you know, you can draw the 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 gun um, the people the anti gun people in that too. You know, where they they want more rules and more rules and more rules. Well, more rules just make more criminals out of good good people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's enough rules on the books in waterfalling right now uh, to catch the bad guys if they really want to. Uh, in fact, there's too many rules in waterfalling. In my opinion, they could go and simplify a lot of rules to make it uh, a, a lot, a lot more user friendly, uh, a lot easier. I mean, we talked about this offline. Um, I think Debney told me there that uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service did a, a border survey for the last yeah. couple of years, and they found that only 15% of Americans are bringing waterfowl back across the border. And I, you know, I told him, I said, I don't bring any back. And he's yeah. like, you know, I told the game warden, I said, I don't bring any back. I mean, the eyes are big, like, you know, you're, you're ditch. No, I'm not throwing them in a ditch. Everyone's getting used. I got, I got the one cattle farmer. He takes a bunch. I got the duck lady. We call her the duck lady. I don't even know her name. We got the lady at the restaurant. She takes some. Hutterite Colony takes, but there's 25 families there. We've got two other groups. And we, I said, we can't literally can't shoot enough legally to supply everybody that wants them. We eat waterfall every day yeah. at, at either lunch or dinner. We eat waterfall. So, I mean, we had, uh, man, he made last year, my buddy Jay, he made uh, like chicken fried steak, but he did it with goose. Holy cow. He makes a stir fry. We make burger out of it. Just all kinds of stuff. But it's easier to leave it there to the people there than it is to clean the bird, leave a wing on it, individually pack it, individually label it, date mm-hmm. it, sign it, all that stuff, then pack it in a cooler away from everybody else who's not with theirs, and then stop at the border and get hassled for an hour and a half as you go through all this paperwork and do all this stuff. It's just not, and then I got to come back to the States and I got to put it in my freezer where there's a three day daily possession limit. Right. So, I can go from, it's just like, it's crazy. You know, you can't breast a bird. We can do DNA on anything in the world. We can't breast a bird. By gosh, <laughs> or you know, unless we're going to immediately throw it in the oven or in the, on the stove and cook it. But, you know, we got all these things And some of these rules are so antiquated because they're written back in the days of market hunting, that they don't really apply today when 
when these limits are just astronomical and people are crossing borders and hunting in different states with different limits. And then you come back, you know, in, in the, in, into your state and it's different. It just, it just makes it so confusing and it makes, it makes, it makes good people breaking unknowingly breaking laws sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Do you think that uh, after a couple of years of the low numbers, they'll see that their thoughts didn't work and they'd change it? I don't think so, but I'm just I trying think, to throw a different I think perspective. Personally, personally, my opinion, once you lose something, it's yeah. harder to get it back. You know, and like- once they, you know, and whether, whether there's antis involved in this or not, um, they're looking at it as a win when there's less and less of us and it's going to get to a point. I mean, let's just face it. 9,500 residents of Manitoba only have a game bird license. 9,500. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's a real quiet voice when it comes to talking about wanting to have guns and shoot and hunt. Yeah. You know, and when that number gets down to, you know, a couple thousand, yeah, mm-hmm. why even have seasons? Why even put, why, why is the government put money in natural resources and fund these things when nobody's doing it? You know, so that's, that's the catch that we as hunters I get back to it. We want to be competitive. We want nobody else around us, but, in, but we want to be able to do it. And that gets, gets back to the me, me, me thing versus what's good for everybody. And we need hunters. Um, we need opportunities for hunters. We need to be able to spread hunters out um, and let them experience the outdoors and get more people into this sport. That's wanna, the bottom line what we need. To if, if COVID taught anything for as from a waterfowl's perspective, especially on this side of the border, it's not having that border traffic, how detrimental and bad it was yeah. overall on so many levels. And like, yeah. I feel like we're in danger of repeating that mistake. So, so this just popped, just popped in my head as Sean was talking. So, so we talk about Manitoba, right? So, um, DU's headquartered in, in Manitoba and so is Delta, uh, two huge machines when it comes to, uh, legislation, um, especially in Canada, right. And, and it affects the whole prairie pothole down into the States, the whole bit. So, how does DU and Delta not have a stake in this when if there's no hunters, then there's nobody raise there's nobody doing dinners, there's nobody raising money because that's who that's who raised listen, I know that there's there's public people and there's money that comes from other places. I get that. I'm not saying hunters are the only source of of money when it comes to DU and Delta. But they've got to have a huge stake into a piece of legislation like this because ultimately, uh, in yeah, I think Sean. they do. Yeah, I think they do. And in, in Devney at, at John Devney at Delta, mm-hmm. he like I said, he got he got involved with it. Um, not, not right at I don't he, he I don't want to speak dates, but he got in, involved in it earlier than anybody that I know of. And okay. was able to say, "Hey, look, that doesn't make a lot of sense, you know." If you, but, but basically, it was, you know, he was going into it where the rules were already made, and what can I do to massage this and make it a little more beneficial to the to the freelancers? Because he understands what yeah. you're talking about. And and DU, um, the CEO of DU, just wrote a letter to to the province of Manitoba State and just that, you know, how much money they spend there, yeah, uh, how much is at stake, you know, if we lose these hunters and. Um, 
Uh, so, so those they, they do know and they good. they understand good. it full. Oh, that's that's good to I, know. I read an article that they set aside 200 tags for DU, 200 for Delta, and, and both of them turned it down. Is that? Did you hear anything about that? I I I can't. Yeah, I cannot clarify. I can't confirm, confirm. that. But I did hear that. Listen, I, I did if, you, that. if you Google it, Definitely it'll come told up. me something to that effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's on Google. It's on Google. Um, I think the yeah. biggest thing that comes out of this is like. And I'll give a little OPEX too, is that we need to come together, like the outdoors, yeah. the shooting, the hunting community. Like um, I know a certain place of business that it was really cold to work at, but they always made you wear like business clothing, right? And they'd only give you t-shirts. Well, it's fucking cold. So you, I want a sweatshirt. Well, you can't wear your sweatshirts from outside. So then the first guy started wearing his fucking barn jacket that stunk like shit. And they're like, okay, we'll get you a sweater. And then the other guys are like, well, fuck, we're going to stick up. They, instead of like banding together at the start where they would have got it. Then all of a sudden it's just like, well, he's wearing his barn shirt. I'm going to wear my snowmobile jacket. And, and then they band together and they all got what they wanted. So we need to do that as a yeah. whole, right? Like we can't have the engineers, yeah. the electricians, the mechanics yeah. all separate. We all got to be together. Right. So why can't we be friends? yeah yeah that should be our i had um, a lady i had i had a lady that used to run the um by this years ago and i was on the real tree pro staff and i was talking to her and she said you know you waterfallers are the biggest group of a-holes there is none of you guys can get along you mm -hmm. all hate each other y'all want to cut each other's throats and i'm she says, you're the worst out of any of the uh, any of the hunting categories that we have and i was like yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> a shame, way. Eh? Tell all the other guys that. Yeah. Make sure you yeah, tell exactly. them all. But, the, yeah. but is it not a shame? Like, how many times do you see on social media, like somebody will make a post about um, we're a brotherhood or, you know what I mean? Like, we got to look out after one another. But yet, at, at the same breath, <laughs> you're absolutely ready to kill one another because you or, got to the launch site before before somebody else you know what i mean or, like are in the same breath social like, media is a whole new topic oh buddy yeah <laughs> yeah like there'll be a post yeah. about brotherhood on a waterfowl site and then the next fucking post will be mm -hmm. some dude that shot a grebe and it's just like hey what kind of duck is this i took a screenshot look <laughs> at this fucking idiot like, yeah 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 right you know I, I will say this i will say this about the sport of waterfowling the numbers have declined. There's no, no doubt about that. The, the numbers have declined. The number of people that actively participate or are quote unquote hardcore hunts, I think has increased, you know, uh, the guys that go out four or five times a year, I think pretty well falling out of the end, you know, falling out of the waterfall hunting. It's the guys that, that want to hunt 30, 40, 50, 60 times a year. Um, that they've increased. Yeah. And th there is that more of those. And, and COVID, that, that was the deal with COVID, man. Um, it really skewed license data around here. I think we went from that turkey season that first year when they, you know everybody was off work and everything. I think normally we sell, like, this point, like 75,000 turkey licenses, somewhere in there. And I think uh, my buddy in the DNR told me it was 75 normally on average. And that year of COVID, I think we're up like 130,000 licenses. <laughs> That we sold for That's turkey. Awesome. Yeah. And normally they normally they stagger. You, you get one of three seasons, three or four seasons in the spring. Yeah. And they yeah. said in that year, that year they had said, no, we're opening everybody on April 18th to May 31st. And by gosh, oh, I was boy. out with my son that morning. 
and it sounded like opening day of fire on deer season. Blah, 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 yeah. blah. Like the Armada yeah. just opened up on D-Day. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. like to put that into perspective, in Ontario, we had 19,000 licenses last year. Boom. Yeah. In, in the spring, the fall, yeah. I don't count because that's just deer of- hunters that want to tag to shoot a yeah right uh so that's so dave say that nineteen thousand turkey license were sold in ontario last year yeah so does that that include fellas that buy because you get two tags right no no but you get two tags in ontario right so one dude one dude could have two so that's nineteen thousand total tags, and then it showed like um the i forget all the numbers right (laughs) Right here. The, the crazy yeah. thing, if you look at 2019 in Ontario, it went from like 7,800 to to 17,000. Like there was a 10,000. Is this thing live? I just had a phone call from no. Manitoba. Oh, you oh, should take oh, that man. call. Yeah. yeah, you should totally take that call. Um, but yeah. I will let you take that call because we're at around 60 minutes now. And um, Sean, buddy, I think we could keep this going for another hour easy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, let's just change our shirts and do another one. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> I just uh, I want to keep I want to I was terps off boys, terps off. Um I I really want to come back to this um after it gets some legs because I think you know Sean you were on today. Sean Weaver made a post on on social media today. Um that uh, that gentleman that wrote for the Star Tribune, which is the article that you originally had sent to me, Sean, um, that's starting yeah. to get some legs now. So I Out, think, yeah, outdoor life, yeah, outdoor yeah. Life yeah, that's the one I read. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, so like that, it's starting to get some legs now. It, it's too bad that it's it's starting to get noticed now that the legislation has been made, but um, if, if anything, I could say is that politicians are, are a breed that that just want to keep getting elected and and if enough of their constituents are complaining they're going to go and do what they yep. can to help out their constituents that's the way i view that's the way i view it and i think that if there's enough people complaining um then something might happen but to touch on what dave ryan sean and we all say here all the time that if we can't get over the fact and hide park our ego at the door and actually look after one another, then, then we're losing a battle even before we even uh, cross the line of departure. Um, if that makes sense to anybody. I want to get that. Um, so if anyone saw that Sean Weaver post and he was talking about that star tribune, Dennis Anderson, yeah, yeah. he actually did an article September 29th, 2022 about this very thing saying Manitoba is shooting itself in the foot. Okay. So September 29th to 2022, he could have done it. We need to get him on here and talk about it too, because he's yeah. been on this for, for six months. Yeah, right? you really should. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Sean, buddy, as always, it's an honor to have you on. Um, I, I'm, Anytime. I'm, I'm pumping your tires big time. Cause my kid asked me at dinner tonight, he was like, who's coming on the show tonight. And I was like, Oh, Sean stall. And my wife, my wife goes, Oh, does he own the, does he own the chainsaw company? I'm like, that's still, 
That's still <laughs> not stopped. <laughs> That's great. I thought you were going to talk about like when uh, Ovechkin and his kid at the All-Star game and they're asking Ovechkin like, oh, are you, other than you, who's your son's favorite player? Oh, well, I'm not actually my son's favorite Sidney player. Crosby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Sid Kidd. Um, Sean, buddy, again, like I said, buddy, it's an honor to have you on and, and um, even even picking your brain on, on setting up that angle. Uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm totally going to do that. I'm going to pull it out with Jason Sear too. One time I'm going to pull out that, that I'm going to strike that line and he's going to go, what in the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I'm yeah. doing it. I'm doing it. And I'm just going to go, Hey, listen, I know you're a pretty experienced hunter, but Sh this is what Sean Stahl does. So, um, eat it. Um, Sean, I'll give you the last word, but uh, Ryan, don't give me any last words. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'll keep talking. Yeah, no man. <laughs> so, but hey, thank thanks for having me on, guys. I I appreciate it. Honor is all ours, buddy. Ryan, yeah, awesome to have you on, Sean. Always good chat. Um, thanks for your perspective on this. I think more people need to start beating this drum. I know we got a lot of people uh, south of the border who listen to this and hopefully yeah. they get vocal contact whoever you can politically or mm -hmm. on social media who have influence to the side of the border. And if we can get it from both sides. Maybe we can make a change. Absolutely. Dave. Yeah. Sean, thanks for coming on again. It's been some good chats we've had before and uh, hopefully one day soon we'll get to do one of these live from the blind, but um, everyone else oh. that's listening, make sure you go out to your DU or Delta banquets there and, and support them and make sure you call your local representative and get them on it too. Absolutely. I already, uh, I already start putting the bug in uh, Dave when uh, Sean put his video out the day I said, uh, we're going to volunteer to be on the decoy crew. So uh, we're, we're just, we're just waiting. We're just waiting for our resume to be approved just, here. Just wearing the Borat suit with the fucking <laughs> yeah. decoys. Yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, very we'll nice. Little... I got. We've got the blinds. Well, if any, <laughs> if anything, the boys, the boys from the Goose Crew, all Sean got to do is say, "Well, it's just like having Letter Kenny boys with us, uh, twenty-four and seven, and and then maybe we can, uh, maybe we'll get on." Um, Sean, to you, man. I I know you said not the last word, but you're getting the last word. Go for it. Uh, what'd you say about the Canada Gooses? <laughs> awesome. That's the last word right there. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Union 0430. We're not experts. We'll never pretend to be experts. We're a bunch of friends that love hanging out, chatting about bird hunting, and hanging out with some pretty awesome dudes um, from both sides of the border. Um, this episode will drop on Monday, which makes no sense because you guys are listening to it and it's already Monday, so forget that. Big love. Uh, surround yourself with good people. Don't be a douche. And that's, and that's all I got to say about that. Big love.